Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Rich Goodman, Managing Director, Global Capital Development and Business Transformation for Toronto Stock Exchange and TSX Venture Exchange. Welcome to TMX Presents, the podcast. This is where we have conversations with capital markets leaders and visionary investors from around the world. Today, I'm speaking with Deepmar Newhouse, Senior Investment Advisor at Echelon Wealth Partners. Welcome, Deepmar. Good morning. So, Deepmar, you've been a wealth manager for many years now. Maybe you'd like to tell me how you first got into the industry. Sure. I started in the mid-80s with an insurance company as an estate planner, became an investment advisor a year later with a small boutique firm. In 91, I moved to a major bank-owned firm. In 2012, I formed a partnership with Dorothyanna Orser at what became a predecessor firm of Echelon Wealth Partners, where we are now a team of six. When did you first become interested in wealth management? Okay, I haven't thought of that for a little bit. When I was a younger buck, I guess that's when I first sort of felt compelled. I think it was just watching people, watching trends, trying to understand. And I know this sounds a little bit off the beat, but really, why is one kid wearing pumas or ponies and the other kid is wearing Adidas? And sort of the price of that and the availability of that. So I started paying attention to that. Remember when I was younger, going to shopping malls and just trying to observe those kinds of things. And then I started just to pay attention a little bit to the market. Also, my father was a miner when he first came to Canada. So he always had copies of the Northern Miner around. So I paid attention to it, but it was more as a hobby. My educational background is in psychology. So I guess that just sort of married it, my observations of people, and then just feeling a little bit keen on trends. You majored in psychology. Did you see yourself pursuing that at one point? Completely and entirely. What made you choose not to? Pure accident. I had met somebody who I was going to university with. And for myself, I had a fairly fresh face. So trying to be someone's uh, marriage counselor when I looked like I was 12 or 14 years of age (laughs) just was not something that was really going to work. And a friend of mine was doing interior design and worked for a small boutique firm. And that individual said, why are you doing this? Why don't you come be an investment advisor? And my friend sort of said the same thing. He said, why don't you try this out? He saw something in you connected to the investment industry. What do you think that was? This one isn't so much about trend, but this is something that stuck with me quite a bit. I remember going to the shopping mall on either Friday afternoon or Saturday. It was a very small shopping mall with my dad. And there was this fish and chip store. And for whatever reason, I just started enjoying going there and spending some of my allowance money. And he would wrap the, I'd never seen this before, fish and chips in actual newspaper. And I just thought it was kind of a neat thing to do and it tasted pretty yummy. And for whatever reason, I would be going, I guess, quiet times. Chances are, though, if I was observing it now, it's probably always quiet. (laughs) And we just started chatting. And one day he had said to me something along the lines of, I'm not going to remember the numbers. The theory would be pretty much intact. He said, if you owe $5,000 to the bank, you're in debt. If you owe $50,000, you're in business. 
that really stuck with me. And I remember chatting with this guy multiple times, talking about different things, about people, about more on the emotional side, you know, just of, you know, some things that had happened in his life. But I think I was probably 13 or 14 years of age. And we're talking to somebody who's probably, I just don't recall, but I would say he was probably in his 30s. That's kind of an odd combination that someone of that age would be communicating with someone of my age on that. Or for him to even share that, whether he was more complaining or actually trying to share a word of wisdom, you know, I don't know. But that stuck with me an awful lot. And I think it was probably because I saw some of the pain that he was in. I saw the vision that he had had and the enjoyment he was getting out of that business. But the fact was, it didn't survive. And again, I haven't really thought much about that in terms of, was that a key moment for me? I don't know. I do think back on it just more from the point of view of how much capital it actually takes to get a business going and the amount of time and commitment it takes and being mindful of the responsibilities you take on. So I don't know if that really directly relates to what you were asking. I just have never really thought about it. I find that story fascinating on multiple levels, Dietmar, because as I know you as a person and as a wealth manager, I would think that somewhere in the crevices of your brain, that conversation and your takeaways from that have been really impactful in how you deal with your clients. Well, for sure. As it turns out, a lot of those conversations actually happens with my partner. So my partner is much more client-facing. We had made that decision that we didn't want to be wearing multiple hats, that we wanted to, I guess, master our resources, take control of them, and just make sure that we weren't always doing everything, that we actually focused on a few things and did those really well. So again, I think I mentioned to you we're a team of six. So my partner really is the individual who works on a daily basis, speaking with our clients, making sure that we are in tune with them, managing their capital the way that they are comfortable with, that meets their goals and their objectives. We are a goals-based investment team. We are discretionary portfolio managers. So again, how we set out is to, you know, one of our taglines really is, is we want to take the worry out of life. So those questions and those concerns, we want to help them with those. We want to answer those. And I would say fundamentally, that is pretty much about our personalities, that we are both very helpful and we both really do care. I think you would expect that from pretty much anyone in our profession, but I can tell you that that is where the passion really comes from. And I guess I was trying to answer your question a little bit more deeply. When I was going to university, I always seemed to have a lot of energy at the end of the day. When I stepped into this business, at the end of the day, I was thoroughly exhausted. So it was the first time in my life I felt unendingly challenged. And I think it was, there was so much information for me to learn. Things were always ever changing. And I guess the requirements for the needs of those people who are in and around this world is very high. Not just for those who are executing in our world, but also for those who kind of need our world. So for those investors that really need that advice and guidance, I think we really simplify it for them. Tell me a little bit about the other members of your team, Dietmar. So again, we're a team of six. Both my partner and I, we've been in the business for myself was 1985. She got in 1986. I spent about 21 years at a bank-owned firm. 
She spent much of her career doing the same thing. So we got very disciplined. We really definitely focused on value add. So that really is ingrained in us. We've always been very responsible. You can't help but do that when you have guidance like that behind you. Some of the other things that we do is we really like working with issuers as well. And that came out of two things. One is, is we really appreciate the entrepreneurial spirit. And if we were trying to think of what would be an ideal client in terms of that, I mean, we really enjoy working with professionals and sort of your everyday investor who's just trying to add value to their lives. But on the flip side, we really do enjoy the entrepreneurs. And it just became clear by the time you meet an entrepreneur and they've already achieved all they have to achieve, they've already got the relationships intact. So we thought if we could help our investors be part of that and help companies actually build and become sort of a future trendsetter, if we find that pathway and help those build into that, that's exciting. And that's really ideal. And if you were part of them going from early stages to the mid stages to their exit, what better is that? And if you have your other investing clients participating in that, it's pretty exciting. The other thing we do is, is when we work with these issuers, we want to spend time really getting to know them. So we want to work with them as well. We turn them into clients. We want to do their Forex. We want to do their cash management. And what that does, that gives us a lot of sort of, you know, it's all basically public knowledge. It's not like we're learning any secrets, but we certainly get their day-to-day -day mentality and how they speak to one another, how they work with one another. And when you get to engage with companies like that, you're getting into the DNA of the company and you've already gotten into the DNA of your investing clients and you can find how to relate that. That I think is unique, right? I don't think there's too many teams that can actually do that. You know, again, with a team of six, we have one person who's very dedicated on the insurance side. So it really digs into that, whether that's on a group plan basis for issuers or companies or individually, as people are trying to figure out what they need to do from a tax planning point of view or for preparation on a state basis. The other thing that I think that's pretty fascinating that we do is, and this isn't really direct to the investing base, but we try to create structures right from the beginning. And you will be familiar with this. We work with CPCs. And the idea with that is trying to create an entity that has a nice clean structure that will allow you to understand who owns what shares. Now, we're getting into something a little bit more complex, but again, because we get to spend time with various different groups, with different levels of expertise, dig in with the issuers, dig in with our client base, our investors, we just get that deeper understanding of what sort of is making everything move. You mentioned CPCs, which are capital pool corporations. Maybe for some of our listeners who are unfamiliar with that structure, you can give a brief description of what it is and how you participate in that structure. To be clear, we're not capital markets people. We have a team at Echelon that specifically is a capital markets group. We work with some external groups. But the idea, again, is when an entity is wanting to go public, and I think most of the listeners probably understand that part of it, there are multiple different ways of doing it. They could do a reverse takeover. They could do a, an initial public offering. And oftentimes there's these structures which can allow them to go public a little bit quicker, 
raise a smaller amount of capital and start to build this over a period of time. Most companies who do initial public offering are scaled much larger. So, you know, how do these companies that are starting off at 5, 10, 20, 30 million get that opportunity? And often that is by using a CPC structure or capital pool corporation. I know you're not part of the capital markets group at Echelon. However, you are an important part of the capital markets ecosystem in Canada. Maybe you can talk about how you interact with other members of the capital markets ecosystem, including the exchange. I think it starts with having your ear to the ground. And when I say that, it's not just ear to the ground in the industry or with what's happening with trends. It gets a little bit deeper because, again, we're really tuned into our clients, our investing clients. So we get to see what their needs are, what their aspirations are, what their children's aspirations are. And then I guess this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, me sitting in a shopping mall and looking for trends. So when I start to pay attention to those and I start to make all those connections, and I guess another way of putting this is I try to be a connector. So I will talk with our capital markets team. I'll speak with other capital market advisory groups. I'll speak with investor relations firms, other advisors at other firms. And I think in doing that, having those conversations, seeing what moves that needle, what brings the interest, what actually drives someone to say, hey, I would invest in that. And I think having those constant conversations, getting feedback, seeing what is kind of, real isn't the right word, but current, that that actually can bring value, that could actually say, again, you know, I'm repeating myself, but it really does come down to moving that needle. What would I actually feel comfortable investing in? What makes sense to me? Where can I see the beginning and ending on this? So if I were to say I had a value add or what I do specifically when I'm working with people in capital markets, I think it's that. It's just really listening, trying to find out how everybody can move the needle together, where that best use of capital can be, and try to build it from there. We have certain metrics for us, you know, for my partner and I, when we look to say, okay, if these are the goals and objectives for our clients, what do we need to do to achieve that? What kind of opportunities can we find? In this case, again, I think I did mention we're conventional portfolio managers. So we we have an allocated portion that would go to risk capital, of which it would be maybe 5 to 15%, of which half of that would maybe be looking for these scenarios. So I think, again, you know, because we have that sensitivity to sort of what would fit in with an individual risk tolerance, we see the things that are even when we look at a large cap, so almost the same way we look at a small cap or a micro cap, we look the same way at a large cap. And it's actually helped us in making our decisions. For example, I hate to be mean, but we we certainly didn't have any exposure to credit suites. So I know that's sort of saying it after the milk has been spilt, but it's just anything that we can't quite relate to, that we can't figure out what the pathway is, understand where the value is, we tend to go away from it. How do you identify your investments? Well, so again, the bulk of that happens through my partner. She acts as our discretionary portfolio manager. What I could say, what I do is that I will certainly sort out opportunities. So that is a big part of my day is just listening to new ideas, looking for the trends, identifying what makes sense, making sure there's true value added, making sure there's an actual business plan, making sure the structure's intact. So that's essentially what I do. And part of that includes attending 
events such as those organized by Capital Event Management. Maybe you can tell me about those events and how that helps you identify certain targets. Those are priceless for me. Having gone to the Israel trip was just amazing on many levels. But for the most part, that one was really about the delegates. Uh, Quite often at capital events, it's a combination of both the investors that attend and the issuers that are presenting. And in both cases, I've always found them very curated. In other words, there's a real understanding of the kinds of things that I would want to pay attention to or other investors similar to myself and things that would actually move the needle. Plus, it's already gone through a due diligence process, whether that came from you know the event going to Israel and the work that Yossi had done or the work that was done with the group Capital Events as I attend theirs. That is really key for me. I think the next step there is now that I've started attending those more frequently, I've gotten to know other investors who sort of see the world the same way. So I don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I guess that kind of that intel or that consensus, maybe that's the word I was trying to find beforehand, just gives me more affirmation of what it is that we're trying to accomplish every day. So I guess if I was trying to clarify in what our process is or what my process is in identifying the opportunities is trying to find like-minded individuals who are willing to execute, who will do the work and have done the due diligence. And I would say these events are the great separator. I won't mention names, but there was an event I attended very recently. I assumed that that was what was happening and that is not what happened. It was not curated at all. And it was just an absolute, complete, total waste of my time. The Israel event that you mentioned, just for our listeners, was an event organized by the Toronto Stock Exchange, where we brought with us about 17 investors, including investment brokers, family offices, angels, venture fund managers, as well as sponsored by Goodman's and Demoulin Black, as well as MNP. The event was several days. We had two full days of intensive meetings with about 24 companies in Israel, really exciting companies, and two days of touring. Deepmar, don't want to get too personal here, but I know from attending that event with you, there were some emotional moments. Can you describe what that trip meant to you? Yeah, there were certainly emotional moments. First of all, being there was something special. The energy around it and the sheer beauty was extraordinary. What truly resonated for me beyond that were the quality of the individuals, the delegates that I was with. Apart from like every single person, I got to know them. And I got to know them as people. I'm getting to know them a little further now as people and as business people. I think that shared approach, A, because of where we were in location, it was just one of those places where you just tend to get true of heart fairly quickly. The opportunity to meet so many different companies or deal makers gave us kind of a joint purpose where we could sort of share our perspectives and, and identify our own approaches 
listen to other people's approaches, evaluate that, and then try to come away with what the business opportunity really is or could become. So I think that was pretty much it. For me, though, it was life-changing. I don't recall ever having that kind of intensity in meeting that many quality people in an environment like that with so much that was going on in Israel as well. It was just, you know, I may not have been comfortable with some of the valuations of the companies there, but every single one felt like a company. That they were doing something very creative. There was the the will, the verve, the intent, and the energy to go do something. And that was very eye-opening for me as well. Thank you, Deepmar. For anyone listening that would like to speak with you or someone on your team and learn more about what you do, what's the best way for them to get connected with you? Well, we have a team email address. It's Orser Newhouse at echelonpartners.com, O-R-S-E-R-N-E-U-H-A-U-S at echelonpartners.com, E-C-H-E-L-O-N-P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S. If it's someone who has interest in direct investing, DA would be the person that would be best to answer any questions. If it is something more with regard to an issuer and trying to understand the process for going public or raising capital, I can certainly assist with that. Well, Dietmar, it was a true pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I look forward to seeing you again in person. Right back at you. And thank you for listening to TMX Presents, the podcast. For investing and market information on TSX and TSX Venture Exchange, please subscribe to our monthly Investor Insights Report and our Market Intelligence Report by visiting tsx.com slash MIG, that's M-I-G. And for more insights from capital markets leaders and my TMX colleagues, please visit tmx.com slash POV.